Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Hey again, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. I know we did our little short burst show yesterday. Thank you all for listening to that little kick the can down the road episode. But you know what? I wasn't going to miss a damn show. I never will. Never. Never. Maybe someday. Remember the first year? You guys might not actually recall this because most of you probably weren't listening yet. But the first year that we actually had this show on its own legitimate podcast feed. Before that, we were uh, blended in with the Cause and Brew feed. We had our own feed. So this was like November of 2016 or December of 2016, I think. We finally got our own podcast feed for this show. And uh, I, I let other folks do shows in the summertime. I didn't do all five days a week. Look, I did three. My good buddies, Adrian Benjamins and Neil Rochelani, I think they hosted, did they do one show each or did they just do it together? I don't remember exactly, but I've left those days in, in my dust. Someday I will probably find some sort of successor, but that day is not today. I'm Dan Vesperus. This is a Sports Ethos presentation. Again, shout out, as always, to our baseball and football shows. Those are coming along nicely, might I add. Terrific work. Baseball show had its biggest download week ever last week. I didn't check in on football this morning. Sorry, JP. Should have checked in on yours as well. But please do follow at Ethos Fantasy BB, Ethos Fantasy FB, and Ethos Fantasy BK. I'm not talking finals on today's show because uh, I'll be recording with the host of the Advantage podcast here on the Ethos Network. That's Mike Fiddle. We'll be doing a uh, finals preview show that'll air tomorrow. That'll be uh, pretty much exclusively a gambling show. So, you know, if you're not a gambling buff at all, it's fine. I have no problem with you skipping one. Or you could just tune in. You might learn some stuff. Gambling is becoming a bit more mainstream. Would be a good way to kind of get your feet wet on that stuff. And we've been doing segments on it during these shows anyway, blended in with the fantasy stuff. But uh, tomorrow's show is going to be all finals. We're going to talk exclusively playoffs, angles, things of that nature. It's not going to have a massive fantasy impact, but there might be something you could pull out of that. So again, that'll be tomorrow's show. Uh, In the meantime, we will continue our romp through the teams of the NBA. And once we get through that, we'll look at that ADP breakdown stuff we talked about on yesterday's podcast. Working backwards, today is the San Antonio Spurs who finished the season as the 10 seed, 34 and 48. They lost to the Clippers in the, uh, or excuse me, they, yeah. No, Clippers played the Wolves, didn't they? Yeah, lost the Pels, excuse me, lost the Pels in the play-in game. Um, really kind of amazing that they got there. Spurs beat the Lakers to get to that play-in stuff. And a lot of that was DeJounte Murray, who had an unbelievable season. He was number six on a per-game basis this year. By totals, he was uh, number 16. Does that make sense? That actually doesn't make sense to me. Oh, I know now. I know what I'm doing here. I got the wrong I got the wrong date window checked in, guys. I'm sorry. I got to get my head in the game. I got my head in the game. Um, he's number six by totals as well. So he was 68 out of 82 games, 69 out of 83. I was looking at, they counted the play-in game in the board I was looking at here. Uh, so by totals, per game, whatever you want to call it, Murray was fantastic. Seven by average, six by totals. 
We all uh, thought he was going to have a good season. I don't know that anybody thought he was going to be this good. 21 points, 8 rebounds, 9 assists, 2 steals, 1.5 three-pointers, and percentages that were pretty darn close to Roto average, what you'd be looking for if you wanted to kind of tread water in Roto. 46.2 from the field, 79.4 at the free throw line. That's like right in the middle of the pack on both of those. So uh, didn't help you in those two categories, but also didn't really hurt you. And when you help as much as he did in steals, assists, rebounds from a guard spot, scoring, uh, it all came together in a in a delightful harmony and one that's going to probably make him in a first-round pick next year in fantasy. Because really, there's nothing going on with San Antonio that would steer this thing the opposite direction. It's his team. Spurs, at the end of all of it, had three players inside the top 100 on a per-game basis this year. Jakob Pertl finished at number 68 after... Remember how bad he was at the beginning of the year because he was shooting like 22% at the free-throw line on three attempts per game? Well, he got that sorted out, sort of. He got up to 50% on the year. So then you put that in with all the other really good stuff, and he becomes more of a light free-throw punt as opposed to a strict, like, you're never coming back from this graveyard kind of free-throw punt. He still remained in the bottom group of free-throw shooters. I think he was second from the bottom behind just Giannis in negative impact free-throw stuff. Uh, He's down there with Christian Wood as well, and then there's a pretty good bump uh, up to a guy like a Rudy Gobert, um, who took more free throws per game, but uh, also shot a much better percentage. Gobert was at 69. Mason Plumley was at 39. He's down there in the bottom chunk as well. Mitchell Robinson, Clint Capella, the usual suspects. Nick Claxton, Russ. Oh, Russ, you can't you can't be that as a point guard. And Devin Vassell was the other one who came on nicely after the All-Star break. Didn't go huge in the way that maybe we hoped he would go nuts post-break, but he was good enough over that stretch. He was an easy-to-start play. Um, And, you know, the ceiling is really nice for a guy like Vassell. Keldon Johnson finished at 107. He was kind of the guy who went huge after the All-Star break. He had the biggest jump of any of the non or the kind of the remaining guys on this team when Derek White got sent off. I think we all thought, myself included, that Devin Vassell was going to be the big leap forward. He was a, a much smaller, like one round better after the Derek White trade. And Keldon Johnson went from a guy who was not playable in 12-team formats to a guy who very much was playable in 12-team formats. And those are the guys that you're actually kind of looking for because uh, those are the guys that were... I mean, he was probably over-rostered because he could score a little bit. Um, but he was a top 75 guy over the last 20 games of the year. Crap, even Josh Richardson crept up near the edge of the top 100 over that stretch. But what does this mean for the Spurs going forward? Because, uh, you know, those names, DeJounte Murray, Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson, Jakob Pertl, those are the main guys on this club that I think we can pretty safely assume are in the plans Murray signed for two more years. Uh, Pirtle next year. This is a contract year for Jakob, but presumably they'll want to keep him around. Even if they don't, does that make him a trade bait? Maybe. Although it does seem like the Spurs aren't really going into what you'd call kind of a full teardown. They made the play-in tournament. Keldon Johnson has one more year, and then he's a restricted free agent. Devin Vassell has uh, two more years before he's a restricted free agent. So these guys are all around. 
Then you've got these mishmash of, like, eh, average players. Doug McDermott has two more years on his deal. He's not very fantasy useful. Josh Richardson has one more season. He's a guy that, even if the Spurs are competing, is trade bait this coming year. They had some guys that came off the books that sort of were on the team and then weren't on the team. Uh, Zach Collins has a couple more seasons. He was playing better towards the end of the year, but he's not about to take Jakob Pertl's job unless he gets moved. Then the young guys, Josh Primo, Lonnie Walker is a restricted free agent. I don't know what's going to happen there, but it sort of doesn't matter all that much. And that's the beauty of San Antonio. They have payroll space if they want to do something with a veteran and make themselves better. They did kind of what the Grizzlies did, which is avoid the full tank by having enough good stuff still hanging around to where you can get some assets for your top guys, your DeMar DeRozans going back. I mean, that would be the one. You got a little something uh, from for the Derek White deal. Not a ton of stuff, but you amass a few things and you stay decent. It's both good and bad. Because in the full teardown, you have a better chance to get an impact player in the draft. You just do. The process, that whole deal. Yes, I know the top two or three guys in the draft are not guarantees to be superstars, and plenty of stars have come from other parts of a draft. All the way down to the middle of the second round, if you're looking at you, Nikola Jokic. But from an, from an odds perspective, you're better off having the first pick than the 14th, 15th, 16th pick. You just are. Great, though, the Spurs may be at developing young talent. And they are quite good. So what does that mean for San Antonio? How do they get better season over season? Two ways. One, you spend your cap space on something relevant. You go out there, and what does this team desperately need as you look at them? Well, they've got a center who's okay. They've got a power forward who's okay. They've got a really good point guard in DeJounte Murray. They have Vassell, who can fill either a shooting guard or a small forward spot. But what they don't have is a, a proven scorer on the wing. Unless you call Vassell that, I don't. You call Keldon Johnson that, I certainly wouldn't as well. So this team that could very well be in the market for a player of that ilk, or are they, because they're the Spurs, do they go for value? Do they shoot for more Richardson-McDermott types, or I don't know, Doug McDermott, whatever. Zach Collins types, where you get a guy a couple years on a pretty affordable deal. You could move him for pieces if you want, or maybe they slot in somewhere. But I really do think that the way the Spurs get better, because I don't know who's going to go to San Antonio. I, you know, they'll they'll have their pitch to whoever, but they're not a great team yet. Is that the young guys are going to need to keep getting better? In particular, Vassell and Keldon Johnson. And I'm not someone who knows what the ceiling is for a young player. I don't know how high it's going to rise. But when you look at a guy like Vassell, you can see the outlines of not superstar, probably not even star, but very good NBA player. And interesting fantasy player as well. After the All-Star break, he sat somewhere in the range of about 15 points, 4 boards, 2 assists, 1.2 steals, half a block, and almost 3 three-pointers a game. Relatively low field goal percent because a lot of his shots were coming from downtown. Very good foul shooter, super low turnovers. 
He profiles going into next season, provided the Spurs don't add a high-usage shooting guard or small forward, which they might in free agency because they do have some room. He profiles as a really interesting grab. You know, we talked about how the reasons we're doing these team breakdowns is to sort of like put the names on the list and put that list off to the side for a while. Vassell, and frankly, even Keldon Johnson, who I'm not a big fan of from a fantasy perspective, but he saw the usage to get there, are names that I think probably slide a little bit under the radar going into next year. I might even argue Jakob Pertl slides a little bit under the radar going into next year. Like, I don't... How many... Do you think people were really excited about what those guys did this year? Murray they were. And he'll go probably late first round, as he should. What if he got better? What if his free throw stroke got a little bit better? What if his three-point stroke got a little bit better? There's more there, potentially. I don't think he falls back if they don't bring in a usage guy. I mean, this is his team. But I just, I get this feeling, and we didn't talk about the Spurs that much on the podcast. We talked about Vassell at the at the trade deadline, but that was kind of it. We talked about Pirtle coming into the season as a solid second center, and he was that, and that's fine. Like, all of that's pretty good. Worked. I was high on Murray, but not nearly high enough. I liked Derek White also, and then he ended up getting traded, but derailed what was actually going to be a pretty good year. Spurs quietly ended up being a really good fantasy team. On top of the other stuff, Vassell played 71 out of 82 games. Johnson played 75 out of 82 games. Pirtle 68, but he's actually been pretty durable. He got knocked out by a couple of weird things. Murray has been a tad dinged up from time to time. He deals with the knee stuff. He's long, that kind of player that he's going to have those things. So that's sort of built into it. Him probably missing ten between 10 and, and 18 games in a given season. So there is some durability, not issues, some actual durability among the guys on this team as well. This is one that from a, a team breakdown that I've kind of been, you know, when, when I talk about how they they were quietly productive this last year, I think I, I sort of quietly was also waiting for this day because I believe that there's a very real chance and again, you know, the better, I mean, it's better, but a really nice exercise with San Antonio is to look at what they did post-All-Star break. And they had five guys at 101 or higher. And the only one of those five guys that I wouldn't really trust going forward is Josh Richardson. Murray, Vassell, Johnson, Pirtle, they all belonged there. Keldon Johnson played 33 and a half minutes per game over that stretch. Vassell, 31. Pirtle 29. You could also look at it from the other side. What are the potential pitfalls of some of these players? Potential pitfall pitfall for Pirtle, which is a really difficult thing to try to say, and I don't know why I rolled down that path. A potential pitfall for Pirtle is Zach Collins. He's number 177 in 19 minutes per game. He does have actually a pretty fantasy-friendly game, but never had the aggression up in Portland to get it done. Does he stick as kind of a 20-minute bench guy? Maybe. Will there be games where he outplays Pirtle and they flip next year? Almost definitely. This is still Popovich we're talking about. If someone is just having a night, they'll play. And if someone is mm, having a night, 
they won't. I'd venture to guess the only guy on that team that's sort of immune to that stuff is DeJounte Murray. But certainly among the players that are still there, the, the key guys we just talked about, the sort of the main four, the one that I would say is most vulnerable to that type of night is Pirtle because there's a solid backup. Where for the rest of these guys, the backup isn't what I would call solid. Josh Richardson is there, but he's not really a backup to Vassell. They could just play together if they needed to. Lonnie Walker's around, and he really would be more of a bench gunner, and he's just not as good as Vassell, so I'm not worried about it. And then you say, all right, well, what about, like, Doug McDermott? Could he displace Vassell or Keldon Johnson? No, he couldn't. Could Zach Collins have a couple weeks where he's just dominating? Yeah, he could. Pirtle's still their rim protector, and he's one of the better rim protectors in the NBA, so I don't want to take that away from him. I'm not here to tell you it's something to be markedly nervous about with Jakob. I'm just saying that of those main four, the one who kind of has somebody breathing down his neck is Pirtle, and Jakob is also in a contract year. So I don't like the way those two things blend together, at least in terms of, would you even call, would it be a red flag? No, it's like, like a deep orange flag. It's not relevant enough to make it a red flag. It's not relevant enough for me to pivot off of Pirtle on draft day but it is relevant enough to point out and say, look, if there's a way that this one could go wrong, that's the way right there, what we're pointing at. DeJounte Murray can't really go wrong unless he gets hurt. And then Devin Vassell and Keldon Johnson, these are guys to me that I don't know that anybody really cared about how decent they were after the All-Star break. That's the beauty part of it. They weren't fantastic. Keldon Johnson did score 20 points a game over that stretch, which maybe that put him a little bit more into focus, but I feel like the only teams that were aware of it were the ones that had him on their club already for the wrong reasons. Because he was not good. He was, I mean, he was fine, but he wasn't good before the trade deadline. He was in that 140 range, basically just scoring and rebounding. And then all of a sudden, those things went way up with the extra usage, and he became 20 points, six boards, two and a half threes, three assists guy. What if he improves his free throw stroke and continues to get this usage? Keldon Johnson's a guy you could keep an eye on as there's a little bit of a Harrison Barnesian thing going on there with Keldon in terms of the fantasy game, scoring boards, threes, not much in the way of defensive stats, but okay and field goal percent. Barnes a better free throw shooter right now, but there's a little bit of a Barnesian thing there. And then with Keldon, you got younger, so and more opportunity, a team that's more willing to sort of let him run with it. Call him New Harrison. That'll be our Keldon Johnson wink wink sort of moment. Am I going out on a limb for this dude? No, I'm not. But if he's getting drafted near a hundred. He's a pretty safe grab there and probably a really nice one in head-to-head because of the decent durability, because of you know, the guys that can get you scoring kind of later in a draft, eighth, ninth round kind of dude. If he goes earlier than that, you know, detonate this discussion, but that's where we're at there. And then Devin Vassell, kind of the same story. He feels like a guy where maybe like four or five weeks out from the start of the season, mid-September, he still has pretty good ADP numbers, but then perhaps starts pushing forward as experts begin to drop their ranks. I feel like Devin Vassell is going to be a, an expert favorite 
this coming year. And so I'm then worried that he gets pushed too far and gets overdrafted. Because I don't expect him to just all of a sudden jump from, you know, post-All-Star break, he was taking 12 shots a game. I don't think he's going to go leaping up to 16 like Keldon Johnson. If he did, it would be awesome because he's got the fantasy game to support it in a way that Keldon, I mean, kind of does. Like, again, he was in top 80 range over that stretch. But if you give Devin Vassell that Keldon usage, give him 16 shots instead of 12, you're talking about a guy that would be pushing four three-pointers a night 20 points, four boards, or four threes, four boards, two and some odd assists, 1.7 combined defensive stats, high volume free throw, big time number there. That's a top 40 range guy. That's not a prediction, by the way. That's me saying, what's the best case scenario there is probably top 40. What's a more likely scenario? Probably not that dissimilar from what we saw post-All-Star break, which was more like number 65. 15, 4, and 2, a bunch of threes, some steals, good steals numbers, great free throw number. And that's good. That's good. 65 is good. We'll obviously pay attention to the Spurs during free agency. They bring in a big name. All of this stuff gets adjusted in some way. And they could. When I say big name, I don't mean necessarily mean like a superstar. I'm just talking about someone that would come in and take a dozen shots even. Not have to be a super high usage guy, just someone that would drop in and cost Keldon Johnson two shots and Vassell one shot and whatever, you know, you pull opportunities from the rest of these dudes. That. That's what I'd be looking at. If they don't, if someone isn't about to swoop in on the Spurs fantasy parade here for these main four, you might have three value plays and a superstar. And the Spurs might be a team where I end up loaded up next year. Because I don't see them going backwards in terms of will they or won't they compete for a playoff spot. They got a taste of the play-in. These guys are not going to want to go back to losing on purpose. I say back to it. They don't want to get into that at all. They haven't had to and they don't want to. And you'd have a much tougher time selling DeJounte Murray on being there beyond the next two years if you're like, oh, by the way, we're going to start tanking not next year but the year after that in your contract year. That's ah, bad for business. So the Spurs, write them down on your board, push that paper off to the side for now, have a chance to be a really interesting value guy team on Fantasy Draft Night. Pretty excited about this one. Not overly excited because anything can happen in free agency and we might see buzz guys emerge. If anyone, it would be Vassell. But let's keep him on the burner for now. Throw it on Simmer. And throw your Tuesday on Simmer. Have a great one, everybody. Again, tomorrow we're talking finals. Special finals show on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we roll back into the Eastern Conference for The Wiz. And nobody beats me. I'm Dan Vasquez for Fantasy NBA Today. Talk to you guys tomorrow. So long.